and welcome to Dad and Sons, the number one Dad and Sons dealer of the Tri-State area. We got the best pre-owned, lightly used Dad and Sons this side of I-95. I'm George. I'm a guy who makes long videos on YouTube about the state of video games. Who are you guys? Uh, uh, visual, Matt. Matt. I'm I'm Liam. Oh. And we're recording from the lovely Maryland <laughs> Thing Hotel thing. I don't want to specify exactly which hotel because there's crazy people on the internet. But um, I'm recording this from MAGFest, which is kind of sort of just barely started. I can't comment much on what sort of uh, cool games and, and events were running there. I saw a uh, Mega Man marathon. I was uh, kind of interesting. My, my, my good friend Duke played through the Game Gear version of Mega Man 1, which was outsourced to uh, this UK studio called US Gold. Very misleading name. Very, very, very poor quality product. When you play it in an emulator, you can see how how much overscan issue is is going on, and how closely they zoom in that camera to uh, make work with with what they need to load in off the side of Mega Man's visibility. The, the color palette is like all wrong for for fan favorite beloved characters such as Bright Man. Um. Anyways, on the way here, we uh. Me and my good friend Kyle listened to half of the new Jason Schreier audiobook. This is going to be my big small talk topic for the week. I might go on about this for a while. Say say what you will about Jason Schreier. I know there's there's conflicting opinions about him, but I think that he does perfectly fine work most of the time. And this book is pretty darn good. It's like, <laughs> it's game journalism. It's totally fine. He traveled around the world, interviewed the people who made some of the uh, most popular games of the past two years. Uh, Witcher 3 is on the list, Stardew Valley is on the list, and uh, also some kind of middling AAA stumbling giants like Destiny. Halo Wars is in there too. And the, the behind-the-scenes uh, chapters on the development of all these things is not flattering. The book itself... Excuse me. The book itself is called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, uh, and it's intended, I think, based on the other articles Jason Schreier has been writing lately and the uh, kind of cause he's taking up against crunch time, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be unflattering takes on uh, unflattering business practices in the industry, but it's read by this narrator who, who I, I can't tell if, if, if he knows that this book's... <laughs> Does he know if the book's for normal people or not? There are these paragraphs where he explains basic stuff like what an MMO is and what a Steam is in, in the middle of going through, like, design document particulars of how the engine, <laughs> the Frostbite engine, couldn't oh, do no. checkpoint autosaves and Dragon he's, Age Inquisition until years of development. He's the voice of Noctis from Final Fantasy XV. Um, Jason Schreier? No, the, the narrator of the audiobook, Ray Chase. Oh! <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. That's funny, because in this book, he sounds like an old man with a mustache, but in that game, he's like a young, pretty boy, Bishujo. He's a voice actor. I imagine he can do multiple voices. In this in this audiobook, he sounds like a uh, patronizing dad telling a story <laughs> about a successful business to a son who whose own business is not doing so hot. He's like, well, son... What uh? What this guy who made Stardew Valley did was uh, lock himself in a room for five years and be financially supported by his girlfriend and drive himself nuts from this uh, kind of introverted, obsessive desire to make the game perfect. And uh, now he's able to buy health insurance. Why can't you? He has $12 million, <laughs> son. And, and it's like he's phrasing these stories, which are actually, they sound really sad to live through while it's happening, even though the outcome is like a great amount of financial success. The narrator is explaining these stories as if they're Perfectly peachy clean rags to riches capitalism success, 
when uh, Schreer's writing frames them as, as more pyrific victories that are kind of outlining what's wrong with the way we make games and the way we understand the process of making games, while also simultaneously making really darn good video games. You get, you get a feel for just how much sacrifice is required for... Uh, for for a massive amount of success, there's not a lot of whole lot of stories of just people making an average middle class wage and getting by. It seems like like these developers are either struggling with tanking or <laughs> really really making a huge splash. There's no, of course there won't be much middle grounds in this book uh, covering games that just kind of release, satisfy people, and move on. Unless you read the chapter on Halo Wars, in which he goes into detail about how there was an original IP that the team at Ensemble had planned called Phoenix, where they wanted to crack the code of putting a big RTS on consoles first before Halo Wars, but Microsoft, the publisher, insisted that they do a Halo game that Bungie had, like, no say in the decision of. They had calls and conferences where they would go to the Bungie offices, and the Bungie staff would just, like, smirk and shrug their shoulders and give them a hard time over ruining their precious IP. And then there's another chapter on Destiny where you get a look at the Bungie developers who are sick and tired of making Halo games and want to break out and do their own IP. But uh, when they finally do get a chance to break out and make their own IP because of the specialization that the team had, had developed, like they had a guy who was really good at first-person animations, no guys yet really good at third-person animations, so they end up making a sci-fi space first-person shooter again. And uh, this time they're doing it under a $600 million 10-year trilogy contract with Activision that almost sounds more creative, creatively stifling than their, their days with Microsoft making Halo. And, and recurring problems in this book keep showing up. Granted, we are only through the first half, but I'm noticing that uh, publishers want sequels. They want sequels really fast, and developers want really ambitious big games. And And I didn't know that this would be as prevalent a line of reasoning as Jason Schreier makes it sound. It seems like when these developers make a good game that gets good reviews and sells good amounts of copies, the developers want the next game to be the biggest and grandest and boldest thing ever, which is the process that ended up like bloating and, and stifling the creative vision behind uh, his two examples with... Um with uh, Destiny and also Uncharted 4. Like, Uncharted 4 was surprising, too. Naughty Dog still, according to Schreier, embraces crunch. They have, like, four top-notch, triple-A, top-of-the-line, industry-gold-standard games behind them in this series, and they still, in this chapter at least, give off the vibe that they don't know what they're doing still and slap them together in the last few months before launch, I think, which sounds I think miserable just, to work Just to through. chime in on that part there, from my experience... Yeah working at a big AAA studio, it seems like that's pretty much all AAA studios, no matter how long they've been in business, no matter how big the game is. For I think that I haven't read the book yet, and I've spoken to Jason... I'd spoken to Jason about the book before it had been finished and it was coming out. He'd um, We'd spoke after he'd appeared on Final Games, and he'd wanted to talk to me about my experiences with Crunch and stuff like that, none of, the, none of which had made it into the book. Um, and I wasn't, I was a little unsure about what I should say and what I shouldn't say. Um, but the one thing like that I've come to learn about crunch, it, I don't know whether it's video game in general, cause there are, especially having moved to Japan where companies just make their employees work a, a almost simulation of crunch every single week of their lives anyway, cause that's the Japanese work ethic. So it's not just the video game industry specifically, but there does seem to be this, weird acceptance for crunch in the video game industry through all AAA studios 
that I can think of. You know, talking about Naughty Dog there, um, coming from Rockstar and stuff like that. I don't know whether it's the way video games are just made, because they get wildly out of scope, wildly out of hand. They go way over budget all the time. They cost hundreds of millions of dollars to make. And they're just these huge projects that are full of so many people that no one ever manages them correctly. So Crunch yeah, just happens. It sounds like it sounds like they always, without fail, take longer than people expect. Yeah. And he has a chapter on Shovel Knight, too. Shovel Knight, this really simple, really cheap 8-bit platformer, still had a... Of all the games he goes through, this is the one where the dev cycle was probably the most pleasant and on schedule. But once the game launched, they had to do their three extra boss campaigns as Kickstarter promises. And they promised that they would be free. And those ended up taking way longer than planning, like once per year. And they wanted to get all three of those out in one year. And uh, I always wondered when they were updating the game with those, how they were funding their developments, because they're really extensive, high-quality expansions that they just gave out for free. And as it turns out, if you uh, read Blood, Sweat, and Pixels by Jason Schreier, you, you can, or if you listen to the Dad and Sons podcast, you can learn the, the plot twist behind that story. Um, that's when they started porting the game over to Nintendo consoles, and uh, they got an Amiibo out. They were able to make money through Nintendo port sales and through merchandising from the Amiibo to fund the development of extra campaigns. And the way they got the Amiibo, that was also a fun secret that's blown wide open now. Uh, guy at Yacht Club just straight up emailed Nintendo every single month asking, can we have an Amiibo, until Nintendo finally said yes after like a year and a half of that. And, uh, oh, that was, that was cute. That was really glad to hear. Also, the reason they split off from Ray Forward, Way Forward, is, uh, that same paradigm of, of, like, the head honchos wanting sequels all the time. Way Forward wanted to make, uh, Shantae sequels as their passion projects that they were funding from their boring contract work, which, for listeners who don't know what Way Forward is, they make Shantae. They make really good, high-quality 2D pixel art side-scroller games, but their main primary business model is doing boring contract work, making 2D assets for other, bigger, more boring games. And even in a studio like that, that keeps their projects small, that, that doesn't go over budget or over scope, they still face that sequel pressure. The, the head honchos at WayForward just wanted to uh, spend their time with their passion projects doing Shantae. There was a group of like five to seven employees who wanted to do a new IP, and they couldn't really get it done unless they left the studio. And their relationship with WayForward is still very amicable. They shared a lot of resources when making Shovel Knight, but I'm still... <laughs> I'm surprised at how consistent of a theme that is. Even in the small studios, the they want sequels and they want sequels fast. I know quite a few people who work at WayForward um, specifically, and um, from what I know personally about the way they work, is they obviously this is one of those coming down to what survives in the games industry and what is really difficult to make. Obviously, the, you see all the time with, with EA. You know, we we get the once a year story where a studio EA bought maybe five or six years ago is closing down because of certain reasons or financial things. For some reason, the video game industry, although it's the biggest in terms of media and how much money they make as a collective, making money as a singular entity game studio is so very hard unless you have like a smash hit. Even if you're like a triple A studio, you're always balancing the books because it costs so much money to make a video game. So with a studio like Way Forward that isn't that big, they have to take on this contract work to survive, which is just like a, a means to an end. And then sometimes with yeah. a successful project or a successful uh, collaboration, they get a chance to make stuff. And I know um, personally developers who work at WayForward who are always working on brand new prototypes for stuff. And it's so 
almost disheartening to see that kind of talent not get the opportunity to expand upon those prototypes because they have to do this contract work just to survive, which is kind of disheartening. Something about the pricing or or like the average wage or, or maybe even the unionization of game developers could, could fix this problem. I think, I think, what what I've come away from this book realizing is that games need a the game industry the AAA game industry should have by now figured out a way to fund passion projects, and they never did figure that out. They figured out how to make blockbuster after blockbuster of of dumb popcorn gunk, and, and CD Projekt figured it out. They know how to make passion projects on that kind of scale and, and quality. Yeah, but even then, but, we've uh, seen recently. There was those, I think it was either leaked emails or something where a whole host of producers <laughs> on Cyberpunk left because of studio conditions. So even, you know, even CD Projekt aren't perfect, it seems, and the, you know, the video game culture of crunch and... And you do got to keep in mind that the big game everyone praises about from CD Projekt is the third sequel in a line yeah. of... Uh... Of, of very familiar fantasy Tolkien-esque archetypes based on already existing novels, which I think is great, but it's also not... It, it doesn't feel like a creative passion project just coming from the video game industry by itself. I'm, or, or coming from, like, the brain of someone in the video game industry just by themselves. I'm intrigued to know, Matt, because you have experience in the films industry, not so much the games industry, is there a sort of a similar culture of work where... When you have deadlines and, you know, you have to finish like a film project or like a movie has to be released, is the insane work hours similar to like the games industry where you have to do it, you have to just work like all night for months to get something done? Is, is Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oof. So. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you do. Um, I mean, obviously, I haven't been in like crazy movie productions, but uh, what happens is you get you get the footage you start editing and you know you get your rough draft uh you send it to uh kind of like director and they'll add notes to what you want to change uh they might go a different direction whatever it is you have to finish that project regardless you know and it all depends if you're doing freelance on the other hand and you're not working for a company then that's a little bit different you know um they tell you what you want uh, you you send a, like kind of a rough draft really early on during the week before the deadline. Uh, they send it back to you uh, saying, oh, this is good. This is good. Maybe change this. And you have it done for them without having to do like overnight stuff. Um, and if you do overnight stuff, you can you can charge them. And if you're good and, you know, you're charging them a certain amount, you know, you're you know, you're going to charge them for the extra. Yeah, hours. fill that invoice um, up. But. If you're working for a company, that's a little bit different. You know, you may not get paid <laughs> over hours. You know, if you, you have a job to do, if director wants to change something, you're just going to have to deal with it. Um, it's the scam of being on a salary. Can yeah. you choose not to take the job, though? Um, well, I guess that depends on the company. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. obviously in the games industry, if you work for like a AAA studio, that's like, as George says, the curse of having a salary that's your job, so you just have to fucking yeah, do it. Yeah, <laughs> because you're making the game. Yeah, the company, yeah. You're, you're making the game when we are taking jobs from other people, you know? Uh, it's not like that, you know, our group is making a movie, because if that's the case, then that's something totally different, 
Um, you know, if like, for instance, like a group of people are doing a YouTube channel, that's that's going to be totally different from a, a, a freelance studio going out there and getting jobs from from professionals. Yeah. You know, from like big, big name companies. I saw a lot of YouTube in the chapter about Stardew Valley. Uh, the guy who made that really dedicated himself to it for five years, locking himself in a room, killing his social life away. He briefly worked as a usher in a movie theater part-time just to get out of the house, which I identified with. That was my, my shitty high school job. And uh, when he finally launched the game and everyone loved it and everyone found a whole lot of success in it, he all of a sudden just kind of blanked, like got hit by this imposter syndrome that had him hibernate for two months, where after he did the media junket of interviews after the game, he had to start thinking about what he was doing next, and he just kind of blanked for months. Mm-hmm. And... um. I, don't, I, I weirdly feel like like a lot of that happened to me after the Patreon. I I, I felt myself getting hit with a, with with like a kind of hibernation period where I just wanted to veg out for a while, even though it didn't feel good doing it. I felt like I was wasting a lot of time, even though I was logging a lot of time into working. And um, I I it was relieving in a weird way to like hear another another person go through this process, and I I see a lot of mirror images with other industries in general with these stories that he goes through of making games it it's if you're if you're doing it by yourself it's it's a passion project where you're going to overwork yourself and not have a good way to explain yourself to other people doing it if you're working on a big project for a company you you are going to get overworked by the company you're at least going to have an easy way of explaining yourself but you're going to get burnt well, out and you're going to want to quit actually afterwards. that's kind of not the case um what was like one of the hardest things working on Crunch on like GTA Five was you're not really allowed to tell anyone what you're doing. You can at least say I clocked in for twelve hours today at my job that gives me a salary. Like when you're self-employed working on your own project true. and you do a twelve-hour day and come away without much productivity, you have no easy way to explain yourself to your like family and and your spouse waiting on you to get out. Yeah, but they can see at least the sort of visual element of what's happening. I mean, there's no promise of monetary guarantee in that kind of situation, but in terms mm-hmm. of like the progress you're making is different. Whereas. Having a like a, a girlfriend and friends and stuff at the time of when we were you know making GTA Five and the amount of times that got pushed back and then you know we we went from making a PlayStation Three and an Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty port to a PlayStation Four and an Xbox One port and then a PC port, the amount of times you have to sort of go like oh okay we're gonna work six months really hard and then you're like okay after the six months it'll be okay everything will slow down i promise we will go out on like dinner dates we'll go actually watch a film in the cinema and then you get to that end of that six months and you're like i can't tell you why but (laughs) it's going to be another six months i'm really sorry and then it's this constant revolving system of you just keep missing everything and you have no progress to show you can't tell them exactly why because you're NDA. To, you can't say even usually to your like families oh, yeah. and I, stuff. I, I learned, I learned another fun term from this book too. Not only are the NDA clauses prevalent in the video game industry, if not most creative industries, entertainment, but so are non-disparagement clauses, which means you can't disparage your employer, which means you can't criticize your employer, you can't say mean things about your employer. Which is why journalists have a really hard time getting good scoops. The uh, games industry is Shrier like, is able to do it. Yeah. But. 
it, the game industry is so difficult not, and not like able that. to. It's funny because, like, when you talk in inner circles, there is obviously people just vent so hard about the politics or the work culture of their company that they work at. But in terms of like things getting written down, like, not I don't even think like ten percent of the insane stories have come out from the games industry yet about how bad the work culture can be or some of the crazy stuff that happens internally at some studios. It's just a a fun reminder seeing other jobs reflected in these stories, like the massive amount of crunch that is needed to make these, uh, to make an excellent passion project is something that I think we all can relate to. When I was hearing this guy's story about Stardew Valley, I was just like having flashbacks to staying up most recently, like three nights in a row where I would just like edit for four, eh, I would sleep for four hours edit for 20 hours, sleep for four hours, edit video for 20 hours for three days in a row when I was getting that Metal Gear Solid critical close-up out, and I thought it would come out on the 29th. I thought it would be a 30-minute video. I wrote a script. I practiced the script, and it would come out to 30 minutes, and I don't even know how it happened, but it came out to 47 minutes, and the editing took three days longer than I thought it would. (laughs) And we head over to uh, Matt Visual to tell you where you went wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I, I know that feeling all too well. <laughs> and, and it's, it it's been like on the this same for... damn series. I was just like, oh my God, oh what is God. happening? <laughs> Yo, we shot footage that turned out bad and we had to go back and do it all again and it was nine hours long. Oh my uh, God. But yeah, like for the past few years working on this channel, like every every other week I pull these all-nighters and I... This book has, like, helped me come to the realization that I crunch even here. Yeah. Ugh. And and crunch has become part of my work culture, too. Well, ah, I, I can't escape. I absolutely get it, because even myself, you know, doing podcasts, due to the way the time zones work in the world, and usually having to record with people from all various different aspects of the world, I'm usually recording podcasts until 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and having before that, I will have worked a whole day, and then I will have gone to a cafe, and I will have worked on some game development stuff. And it's oh. just like I need some sort of balance, but I never give it to myself. And I can totally see where these creators are just like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna work on this with 15 hours today, then 15 hours you know, tomorrow. What 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 I saw that it did it is is. That- Another parallel with Stardew Valley. This guy thought he had the game close to completion for about <laughs> two years. Like, for two years, he he just thought it was 90% complete without even knowing he had two years left. And I noticed that when I was editing the, the critical close-up, one of the things that made it take so much longer than I was expecting to was I was actually rewriting a lot of that script as I was editing it. Like, I would see a line that just wasn't good enough for me. It wasn't clear enough for me. It wasn't elegant enough for me. And I'd want to rewrite it, re-record that particular line... Uh, master the audio so it sounds okay, usually better than it does on the podcast, and um, <laughs> and and slide it back in, and before you know it, the 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 final stretch of finishing up the editing on the video becomes two extra days of re <laughs> re editing and rewriting the whole video. And with Stardew Valley, he redid uh, all the portrait art something like fourteen times. It's like insane the amount of time he spent polishing that thing and it really was just like 2 years of just polishing it. And and that shows. It, it obviously paid off, but the sacrifices you got to make to get that level of quality is they're astounding sacrifices. One one thing that haunted me about his story is that uh he would tell people in his family that the game would be releasing soon. 
five, <laughs> five years before it would come out, he'd be like, yep, I'm just going to be working on it for three more months, then we're going to launch. And then a year into development, he was like, yep, it's just going to be six more months. And then two years in development, he was like, I got one more year. And finally, after eventually five years, two weeks before launch, he makes the... Uh, the the release trailer and and actually finally announces the release date on Steam. Now that it's been five years, two of which were more or less spent polishing the thing, <laughs> and that's that's really admirable. It's it, that shows that there's just like so much passion that just wouldn't stop this guy. But but the system is 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 rigged in a way where you really have to like kill yourself getting. I think it really depends. Getting on, enough time. It depends. To make a good product. It depends on who you are, and it depends on what's available to you as well. There are. I can't remember the uh, oh the name of the studio. Um, I think it's like Kalie or something like that. The guys who make uh, Don't Starve and Mark of the Ninja. Kalai, yeah, yeah. Because um, they I have don't know a, how to say it either. I don't remember the name, but they have a very like strict no crunch rule in the company. I don't know whether that's changed since I... How tolerant are they of delays? Well, I don't know, because their games are obviously not massive, but they are successful. Like, Don't Starve is incredibly mm -hmm. successful. I think Mark of the Ninja did very well. Um, they yeah. also made, I think, Invisible Incorporate, that, like, sort of... Turn, oh, yeah, turn, Invisible Ink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. pun title, it didn't make sense until I said it out loud. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that was this sort of XCOM sort of stealth spy game. And... They've all been relatively successful, I think, in terms of a middle-A studio kind of thing. Maybe they have it figured out. But, yeah, I think because they also have, like, not that many employees. It's maybe... Which seems to be important, actually. But I think their boss has experience at AAA studios where Crunch has been effective on his life, and then his whole philosophy is that there's no insane hours, there's no, like, huge things and they sort of work within their means to find their deadlines which i think is exactly what is missing from most triple a studios because there are so many there are so many people in charge or so many producers or so many you know either co-directors and um executive producers that it, it just gets crossed wired all the time that no one can really plan like no one can actually look at like how many people they have how many outsources they have how long each thing is going to take and then plan accordingly. Of course, it changes all the time. But when you maybe have a smaller studio like they are, and when they look at projects like, okay, we have a project like Mark of the Ninja. It's going to be like a linear story. We need to make this many levels. Uh, we need to get this many art resources and that kind of thing. They're like, okay, so we're looking at this sort of maybe two to three year development cycle. How is How are we going to do that Like in the budget? Maybe it's a bit more easy to plan that kind of thing. But mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know... <clears throat> if it's that easy, there, it, it definitely depends on who you are. It can't be. It, it definitely depends on who you are, what your own personal philosophy is. If you're like the boss of a studio and your philosophy is to work really hard, I guess that's going to just filter down to everyone who works at your studio. If you're someone who doesn't think working so hard is important and that life balance is important, well, I think that'll filter down as well. I, um, but in terms of AAA studios, I think it's just like something that just happens because planning such a multi-million dollar project is just almost impossible from the outset. So things get delayed, things get pushed back, um, things come up that you never expect. So, you know, people have to work insane hours. Um, and as much as I hate it, and I hated, I hated Crunch. Um, because there never seems to be like an end in sight with Crunch. 
as I said, going back to the whole, like, you'd work six months and they'd be like, okay, now we're going to make a PC port. And you're like, oh, shit. And now we have another six months. And Whoops, weren't expecting that. Yeah, the, there is no, like, end in sight. And you would always be told there's, like, you'd be at... <laughs> I'll always remember the line. We're almost at the top of the mountain. All, like there was this line that would always go around. We're at the. We're almost at the top of the mountain. Once we get over the mountain, we're all the way. We're rolling down, and and that would mean like rolling back hours. Workplace motivation. But, but it would just be like every six months there would be a new. We're nearly at the peak of the mountain, mountain. <laughs> and it's really uh you know hard for morale, and that's why you know books like this get written with lots of disgruntled or maybe. Uh, overworked employees commenting anonymously. <laughs> um, and another realization is that game design is still very abstract. Uh, developers seem to have a hard time knowing what players really want and what they themselves want. The, the chapter on Diablo 2 gets into that. Like, uh, <clears throat> they, they went through a massive amount of effort fixing Diablo 3, to be less like Diablo 2. And the changes were substantial, but they were very, very small, subtle things that added up. Things like like, like loot drop rates um, and uh, the, 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 the flow of dealing with these instant heal health items that, that enemies drop instead. And um, that, that makes me realize how hard it is to predict when you like see a new fighting game coming out. Like you can't really tell if it's going to be this, this super well-balanced hyped tournament quality, uh, uh, sublime expression of fighting game basics until there's thousands of players all sharing feedback together, figuring out exploits to the, together. It just seems like that's something that not, that doesn't happen within, uh, the game dev's own house in there and their, and their QA, like, like really being able to, to quantitatively judge the quality of a game is something that doesn't seem like, like, like there's an art to it mm. until it's actually out in the hands of thousands of players who can all play test it in a much, much better way than they can in house. I think that's what's made. I mean, I don't want to go on for, uh, about this for too long, but the, another, another aspect of what crunch is like now compared to back in the day is, you know, once you finish a game, that would be it. Like the CD would go and it would get, it would go gold. You'd print all the discs and that would be it. It'd be in the shop and there'd be nothing you could do about it. You'd then start. And now you can fix bad games. Project. Well, that's the thing is you'd work all the way up to release day. And I remember working on release day <clears throat> and not even getting to celebrate that we'd launched a game because we're working on the day one patch or we're working on the next batch of DLC. <laughs> God damn it. And especially with <sighs> games like GTA where they had GTA online and I predominantly worked in the multiplayer aspect of that game. My, my story with GTA five went on for three more years after it launched. Like, it just never ended because it was this online game that needed to be patched all the time. It was having DLC done all the time. Um, so it, it's does even it turn harder into now a because, job after that. Like, yeah, it does. Do, like, it, the, it is making games as amazing as it sounds after just sitting there for so long, you know, and doing the same things and patching stuff over and over again. I think. Personally, considering I'm, I make I make my own games now, like and have fun doing that. I don't mm. think that making games is a problem. I think it's the different ways in which games are made. Like working at a AAA studio is definitely like that. It's it's a job, it's and a job. especially if you're in a sort of lower position, like a, an analyst or like a QA tester or something like that. Like yeah. your job is repetitive. Your job is the same every day, and you're you're looking at the same project for like six years. 
that that's hard. But then when you're working on your own stuff and you get to be creative and you get to sort of dictate your work hours, even if your work hours are like 20 hours a day, well, that's your choice. And Oh, my God. <laughs> but at l- Oh, my God, that's me. Ah! But at least... <laughs> At least in some aspect, like when you finish the the Metal Gear Solid Four critical close up, it's like yeah, it's like a release. Did you did you do you reflect? Do you reflect and like ah, it's done. That was a that was a great and then challenge. You look at it like oh my god, why did I say that? Oh, there's, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I polished it up real good. I I feel proud of it. I just wonder in the back of my mind how much better I would have felt if I actually dropped it on the 29th, on that Patreon deadline from four months ago. That's something I was beating myself up about constantly yeah, when I was making it. by like, the by. Like, no one... It's fine. No one will remember that in hindsight, but the one thing about a YouTube video in comparison to, like, a video game is obviously once it's up, you're not going to take it down to re-edit oh, yeah. it and patch it, You, you, you? can't patch YouTube videos. <laughs> Fun fact, you can patch SoundCloud files. Ah. So if this podcast has a has a podcast-breaking glitch, for example, I could release a, a one-day <laughs> one patch for that. While me and Matt, the head honchos, just chill back and, and George crunches on our podcast. That's why I'm at a convention. Matt, you cool Isn't with that? Isn't there a secret editor now? Is there, like, a secret editor? No, there's no secret editor. I, I did finally hire some help for the critical close-up, though, and and their 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 name is next to mine in the intro. Ooh, a minion. They, they were good people. A minion. <sighs> minion editing music here. Yeah, exactly. That's what that so, is. <laughs> what else we got? What that happens? It's been <laughs> put them to work. It's been two and a half weeks since we podcasted. Because uh, we were away for holidays. It's 2018 now. we got a whole new year ahead of us. I'm sure we have some stories to tell. Uh, Liam, you got anything? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the fan question. Oh, yeah. So, well, first, Akiyome. Happy New Year from Japan, everyone. That's what they say? And, yeah, so basically, I have been doing nothing for the past two weeks. I went to Kyoto for a few days to chill with some friends. Um, spent some wonderful time walking around beautiful oh. Kyoto, Japan. Oh, wait. Wait, I have a question. Go on. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we hung out. We we took uh, a friend of mine. So, uh, I'm not going to talk about it for too long, but a friend of mine was looking for a switch. And if anyone knows, finding a switch in Japan is uh, nigh on impossible unless you want to play pay like five hundred dollars in like a second hand store or something like that. So he was determined, and I was telling him, "Look, dude, you're in Kyoto. There are no small game shops. You're not going to find one." You won't find a switch. We went to Big Camera. We went to Yodobashi Camera. We went to Gale. We went to every every store that potentially could be selling one. And um, he was like, "No, I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna find it." And uh, we went to the Pokemon Center on the off chance, like the Pokemon Center. Yeah. Uh, and in uh, I think it was Osaka. We went to the Pokemon Center in Osaka, and we were walking around. And he just comes up to me and he has a bag and he's like, "Hey, I got a switch." I was like. What the? F- what? Where the fuck did you find a a switch? And he's like, the Pokemon Center has one. Why would the Pokemon Center have a Nintendo Switch? Like, Pokemon is even fully owned by Nintendo, and they don't really sell games here. They just sell plushies of Pokemon. But no, he, he had like a Switch. And I was like, it's the last place you would have looked, it's right? Literally the last place, and like you can only find it because like in Japan, instead of like game boxes, usually on the wall, sometimes they have like little tickets. And they're hard to notice. So he found, like, the ticket that was, like, the Switch. 
And he was like, oh, I'm going to try it. And he went up to them and he asked, is this with the Switch? And they were like, yeah, uh, we have like three. Do you, do you want one? And he's like, yeah. So he found a Nintendo Switch in the Pokemon Center. So there you go. There's a secret. If you're looking for a Switch in Japan, go to the Pokemon Center. No one seems to know that. What, what, um, was so it like we a playing... special like d- Detective Pikachu Daddy Levito version? Oh my God. Daddy Levito. That would be yeah. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Oh man, that'd be great. But it wasn't. I'm assuming. No, it was just it no. was just the just the standard gray one. No, oh, okay. no fancy Danny DeVito stickers on it. Yeah. Um, I uh, but I got my Switch since the last podcast. Nice. The uh, GameStops and Best Buys in my area were out. Target had a cabinet full of them. Mm. It seems like America, they're a lot easy to get hold of. Yeah, that's just like the big regular department store chain, and they're full of switches. (laughs) Well, so he got it, and um, we spent a few, like, uh, hours. I think there was, like, one day it snowed in Kyoto, so we really couldn't do anything. So we played ARMS pretty much all day in the hotel room, which was a lot of fun. That sounds comfy as fuck, It was awesome. With alcohol, it was great. It was lovely. It was a good time. But anyway, after that, I did nothing but pretty much watch Dragon Ball Super. Really? The whole time. Which since is I've been home. relevant because a fan yeah, so, uh, uh, might want you to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, so we did, get, we did get, we have had a lot of emails. Thank you guys for your questions and stuff like that. We'll get into them a bit later. But we did have specifically one question which tied into sort of my topic this week. Um, and it says, hello, dad and son's team. I liked hearing you talk about Star Wars. I wasn't going to ask this because I didn't think it would happen. But after the last episode, I think my chances are better. Can you guys talk about anime? I'm really lonely and all the anime podcasts are lame. So I have no outside <laughs> like voice to bounce my says. thoughts off inside of my head. And I really loved hearing I, I, George gush over your name in the Weebcast. Any topics I've I feel le- like it's, <laughs> it's important to point out a, 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 a brief stretch of words in there. Um... <clears throat> Can you guys talk about anime? I'm really lonely. Okay, go on. Yes, I'm really lonely, and all the anime podcasts are lame. Sorry, anime podcast, that's not our words. But the email continues to read, Any topics of any length regarding the wonderful world of silly Japanese cartoons would make me a real happy camper. Please and thank you, Doogly Jim. So, Liam, you're in Japan, right? I am. That probably means that you're the, like, biggest, trashiest, most anime-loving weeb garbage in the group, right? Am I wrong? Uh, Well, I don't know. Probably in this group, I guess. But the one thing that did surprise me about coming to Japan, I didn't even realize it until I started watching Dragon Ball Super, I haven't watched anime, like, at all since I moved to Japan. Oh my god, some stereotypes are true! Isn't Dragon Ball Super garbage? No, Dragon Ball Super is actually hyped as fuck. The freaking animation is such... Oh my god, are you guys actually gonna argue about anime? Oh my god. It's trash, oh god! but it's it's anime. Like, no! anime is all about... Anime is all about... You know, what, you know what's good? Initial D. Uh, you you see how old that... It, it's freaking... It's freaking a, a three... three a four by three ratio. <laughs> and it, it still translates better than Dragon Ball Super. There's, there's a big difference between, like... Shonen Fighting weekly anime and three D we have to give it cars. We have we have to give it we have to give it its fair due in the in the sort of category that Dragon Ball Super sits in, which is the Shonen Weekly. Um like One oh Piece and Naruto. Oh my god, this is dorky. They 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 definitely are lazy and they keyframe animation stop yep. so much that yep. it and that's what it's like. But it, some you of know the what fights, looks better? 
you know, like, you know when Oni cartoons <laughs> freaking make, you know those parodies on YouTube? <laughs> yeah. That looks better. <laughs> no, let me let me stop dogging on it. Let me, let me stop dogging. Okay, okay. I, okay, okay. Go, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Let me, let me just, let me just talk about Dragon Ball Yeah, yeah, go, go ahead, go ahead. For, for, if, if, but for anyone, for Doogly Jim. For Doogly Jim. So, Doogly Jim, if you're listening, this is for you. So, before I moved to Japan, I used to watch a lot of anime. Uh, having worked at a AAA studio, playing a video game most of the day, and working on a video game, when I got home, I didn't really want to play a video game. So, I watched anime instead to chill out. So, I watched a lot of anime before moving to Japan. Then, when I moved to Japan, anime's everywhere. Like, the mascots for all TV adverts for products, when you go into, like, the kombini and stuff like that. As you guys know, like, anime's fucking everywhere. Yeah. So you, oh you yeah, just, we saw the animes. You just see it everywhere. All skimpy girl. It was just like one of my Japanese animes. Yeah. Exactly, and it just registers in your brain, and it's like you've almost consumed watching some anime. So you never really think about it. So I just my anime consumption just like plummeted when I moved to Japan. But recently, a friend was talking to me about Dragon Ball, and we got pretty hyped because Dragon Ball Z was awesome. Uh, and he was like, "You should watch Super," and I was like, "Yeah, I watched like you know the." The Battle of the Gods movie, and that sucked. And then I hadn't watched the Frieza Resurrection F one with Golden Frieza. Mm-hmm. And then um, Frieza gets resurrected. Yeah, again for like fourth oh, time. Okay, but I watched that, and that I was can't actually say I'm surprised. That was actually pretty good. I thought I was. I thought I was pretty good, and I thought the animation in that was kind of okay. Yeah, it's an that, anime that was, movie. That was good. The, the movie. Yeah. And then so, they, the show came out. <laughs> so, so then he was like, hey, so watch watch like Resurrection F, watch Frieza, and then skip to episode 27 in okay. Super, and you okay. can just carry on. I was like, I, okay. That's good. That's a good recommendation. Okay. Because I'd watched like the first seven episodes of Super like before I'd watched Battle of the Gods, and it was awful. Yep. <laughs> it was, it was absolutely it was it was awful so i was like i was put off super completely and he was like no 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 honestly like now like it's what 110 episodes in or whatever he's like no re- just just get back on it i was like okay fine so i watched resurrection after i really enjoyed it so i was on a proper dragon ball kick so i got into super from episode 27 and now i'm on episode 57 i think mm. and i'm loving it i'm watching like six episodes a day i'm just like binge watching it and it's been awesome. Like, the one thing I will say about Super, I don't want to go on about it too long before George loses his breath singing in the background, is that <laughs> Super's pace is way better than any any previous Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, even Dragon Ball Kai. Yeah. Like, they're notoriously bad for pacing. Obviously, the 15 episode fight scenes that take place are disgustingly bad in hindsight. But Super, like... Battles take place in one episode, they're resolved, and then it moves on to the next thing. And I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what I've always wanted out of Dragon Ball. Like, you know, 10 minutes of talking, 10 minutes of fighting, resolution. And then it moves on to the next plotline, or moves on to the next battle. And it's really good. And, you know, the powers are getting, like, ridiculous now, so it's all flashier and stuff like that. But I'm really enjoying it. And it's really kind of cool to sort of not relive that childhood thing again, but when I was younger, I used to have the nightly routine of watching two episodes of Dragon Ball Z before going to bed. And now I'm kind of just like doing that again. And it's really, it's kind of nice. I just sit here with like a, with a hot chocolate, turn the mm. lights off, watch two episodes of Dragon Ball Super, then go to bed. 
I'm like, yeah. How are they distributing this series in Japan? Does it show up on network TV or is it all online through some streaming stuff? I believe it shows up on Sundays at 10 a.m. or 9 a.m. in the morning here in Japan. Uh, but I think Crunchyroll has Super and stuff like that. Obviously, I have to go yeah, through illicit I... means to get it in English here in Japan. But, you know, it's pretty good. I'm really enjoying it. I was about to ask if you suspect that the improvements to pacing, where you, where you don't have like multiple episodes leading up to the same fight, happen because they they don't have to goad viewers into just like waiting for next week's episode to, to watch the commercials. No, I don't know, and, what, the, uh, I don't know what it is because obviously... It's it's still an anime based on a manga. It's based on the Dragon Ball Super manga, and obviously anime has to, you know, be always behind the manga. But it doesn't seem like even the filler episodes that you do notice have been quite fun. I don't know whether they have better writers for filler in the, this time, but I've kind of enjoyed it so far. I'm only like 57 episodes in, so anyone who has watched Super and is like, "God, it becomes trash." Did you just say sorry. only 57 episodes? I'm only 57 episodes in. How is that an only? It's a it's an ongoing series. What do you yeah, expect? Yeah, George doesn't understand a concept of, of of any of this. No. Yeah, it's like The Simpsons. It just keeps going. It just goes and goes and goes. But you're not supposed to binge watch The Simpsons. You're supposed to leave it on during like your cooking. <laughs> I can kind of do that now with Dragon Ball though, because you know the it's for kids, so the Japanese is kind of simple and. I don't need to pay attention the, the to Simpsons. the subtitles too much. <laughs> the Simpsons doesn't have a like recurring storyline of increasingly powerful characters who who grow through through one continuous chronology of of Simpsons timeline. Dragon Ball's not like fucking but, Breaking Bad. It's not like a goddamn in complex storyline that you have to pay close attention so, to. You just sort of watch it in and out. Like watch Goku Kamehameha or another being and it's so you, that, you get on that with your day. Is. So I always wonder about it. So it's 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 for kids, is it? Is it like on like Saturday morning cartoons? <laughs> yeah, is that Dragon what it kinda is? Yeah, yeah, Dragon Ball's always been for kids. That's weird to think about. In, in the even West, like it was marketed as like edgy for for like young teens, yeah. Cause like not because Japan doesn't give a fuck it's about really violence. violent. Japan doesn't care about violence. Anime is all built on violence. Yeah, yeah. Because my problem with Super is just it just feels like the same thing. Like we're watching there, the same thing, and I'm there like, are definitely why elements did they do of that? anything? Huh? There is a lot of reoccurring themes and a lot of reoccurring stuff, but it's the new characters are really good. Like new characters used to really annoy me in Dragon Ball because they'd be out of place with like the Z fighters and they would just try and crowbar this new character in. But with like Beerus and Wiz, like the two gods who are sort yeah, of those, those, yeah, who start out as like villains, but they're like now like Goku's and Vegeta's mentors, and like and that's like a cool little twist that I didn't expect. And now, like, the, the sort of, the I don't want to say the word banter, but the sort of banter between, like, Goku being <laughs> an idiot and, like, Beerus being a god who can destroy anything and having very little patience is pretty good. It's pretty funny. And it plays off really well, and the pace is good, so I yeah, keep interested. Yeah, I've, I've been told that it's really interesting seeing how they change Goku for the English version. Like, in Japan, he's supposed to be both an idiot, but also the model Japanese dad, which is kind of an adorably bumbling idiot. Oh, God, no. He's the worst dad in the world. Vegeta's the best dad. Which is great, because really? Super... Really? Is that how they, they're Literally, Super makes Vegeta more of a human being and more of a real character than 
Goku. Goku consistently, yeah. like they turned Goku I don't know into an idiot. Is. When I was a kid, Goku, I loved Goku. I didn't like Vegeta very much. Now, as an adult, I see Vegeta as more of this human character with a family, which makes more sense. Whereas Goku's just like, "Hey, fight me!" And he's just I, I love Vegeta back in the day. I love Vegeta, but like even more so now. Like Kakarot. Goku is a bit of an idiot. Yeah, it's great. He had, he had a fun voice. Yeah, he had, yeah, it's, it's, it was the best thing. We we always like to make paper uh, paper action figures and fight each other. <laughs> I made paper master swords and master shields. <laughs> you, know, you know, when you didn't have money to buy toys, you know? Yeah. Paper. <laughs> it got the job done somehow. Oh, well, God. Me and... Yeah. I, I'm enjoying it. Slapping and, each other. and off the back of that, now I'm even more hyped for Dragon Ball Fighter Z. Like, oh yeah! Now I'm... I cannot, I cannot fucking wait for that game. Now I understand like all the new characters, like Beerus and Hit and um, Goku Black and all that kind of stuff. Now I'm in Black Goku. Now, wait, what? Now I'm in. Don't, George, He's the black version of Goku. Don't worry, George. Just don't worry. Like Goku. That sounds pretty badass, like, actually. Goku wearing black, black people face. love Dragon Ball Z. That, they're just catering to their market. <laughs> I'm sorry, was that a controversial thing to say? Was that, was that a negative, hurtful stereotype to bring up? Oh, boy. So we're going to take a quick break. As he writes down the timestamp. <laughs> As I write down the timestamp of the... Of the, the, the b- 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 black joke. <laughs> Asterix, when George was maybe kind of racist. <laughs> Are you tired of taking your dog for a walk and picking up after their mess? Are you tired of using grocery bags or products that are heavy and not useful? It can get very messy when your pet goes in the house or on the sidewalk or even your neighbor's lawn. We have the answer for you. Introducing Poo Trap. An amazing new innovation that eliminates the need of picking up after your dog. Poo Trap is a unique new product that fits any size dog without any hassles, and your pets will love it too. It's easy to install on your dog and makes your walking experience fun. Walking your dog just got easier with a Poo Trap. No poops, no whoops. Poo Trap is available in eight sizes and three colors. There are no substitutes. Poo Trap, the magic poop collector. Order yours today. Call 888-POO-TRAP. That's 888-766-8727. Call now or visit our website at www.pootrapusa.com. Order yours today. Hello and welcome back to Dad and Sons Podcast. And I just want to say that there is an editorial right now that's actually not that bad of an editorial by Gita Jackson on Kotaku called Why Black Men Love Dragon Ball Z in which she interviews black guys who like think Dragon Ball Z is the hype of shit ever. I'm not alone in this. What? (laughs) Why? You could have edited it out. You could have just got on with your life. But now you it back I have a point to stand by. (laughs) Oh my God. Hold up, can you send that article? Because that's... Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll paste it. I'll, I'll put it in the description, too. Oh. There we oh. go. You're going a step further, aren't we? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyways, we um, actually, since I'm, a, I'm at the convention and want to get back, and we have some good-ass shit to go through here, we're going to eschew news this week. Instead of talking about news topics that we might not be too hyped about, we're just going to go through like the stuff that we can giggle about. This is... Ah, this is going to move good. So, um, uh, 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 Matt, do you have a story for us? Uh, yeah. 
Um, sorry, let me Let's click off it. that article. Uh, <laughs> black Goku. Um, speaking of black, um, Black Mirror. Um, oh, um, on, on this <laughs> On this section of um, this week's section of uh, Netflix No Chill, um, Black Mirror. <laughs> I don't know if uh, <laughs> I don't know if I like it. I I, I, oh like, um, I, was I wondered the same about thing. that. Yeah. yeah, I've seen a few that are really strong, but most of them seem kind of hit or miss. I've only yeah. seen three, so, so I I don't know yet. Yeah. Okay. So so the theme of Black Mirror is like the the downfall of humanity because of technology. You know, like technology was always pushed in the front, and now the theme of this season is like uh, technology takes a backseat as like the characters get pushed forward. Characters. And it's more about short stories about characters living in the in a future setting yeah. than a sci-fi yeah. Twilight Zone where tech is driving the story. It's more like you tech know? is yeah. just integrated into society. It's not like the focus. It's more like people just like we do, living with iPhone kind of things that help yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, th- this is just kind of what's happening. Um, I mean, I would say... The cla- they did do a classic Black Mirror episode for the last one, the sixth episode, um, and I think that was I, I I kind of like their their usual stuff. I'm I'm gonna be one of those guys and say I really like the twisted, um, you know, make me feel like garbage, um, dark. <laughs> make uh, me fear, uh, make I love me fear that. my PlayStation God, it's- Four. So good, feeling like garbage when watching that show. Yeah, it, it's the best. I love it. It's it like, oh my god, this show was made for me. It was. And it made doesn't for work me. when you don't feel like garbage. It's just kind of boring when it's going through yeah. uh, uh, tech issues that seem a little too far fetched to relate to. Yeah, it, like the first episode was probably one of the worst. I <gasps> would say no. I thought of it this was the, season or the whole the series. One. Yeah. It was of, well, of this series it, it or the like whole a, like a, a normie yeah. episode like like a cw episode you know like where the I'm characters s- have a great ending and <laughs> like it didn't make is any first, sense is the first episode of black mirror the one where david cameron fucks the pig yeah no, 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 no. i'm talking no i'm talking about season four yeah we're talking uh, about yeah I, I just wanted to clear because i have not seen any of season four Oh, but I, okay. the reason yeah. why is because I gave up watching through the whole thing because it was so hit or miss. There were like two fucking fantastic episodes that I got introduced to the series with. So I gave it a shot and the rest just kind of either petered on or off or they didn't hit the same high notes that the two I was shown did. I feel well, like the third series, if you haven't seen that, George, is pretty good. It's pretty damn yeah. good. Actually. Oh, yeah. It's probably the best. Yeah. Is, is that the one Charlie Brooker wrote? Charlie Brooker wrote I love that guy. Oh, okay. Well... Yeah, I, I guess Charlie Brooker sometimes can't hit, win them all. Yeah, one I of, mean, one of uh, England's finest sons, Charlie Brooker. <laughs> Agreed. I when I was like a, a youngin on my way out of high school, I'd watch a lot of Charlie Brooker and be like, "That's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to just complain about things." And lo and behold, you did. I'm living my Charlie Brooker dream. But thanks, Charlie Brooker. But anyway, but back I, to the first episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would say like. You know, I like the sixth episode. Four was pretty cool. Um, if people are watching this stuff, I'm pretty sure some of your audience, some of our audience is watching this. Um, For posterity, know, like, I've only watched like the first three. Miss. Huh? Say again? For posterity, I've only watched the first three of the latest season, and I watched them yeah. all last night. So they're pretty fresh in my brain. Yeah. But okay. Can... So, like, 
like three is a good example of like it kind of taking the back seat, right? Like, yeah, and like that was more just a thriller than yeah anything to do with technology. Like it had the memory thing, but the memory thing was kind of shoddy anyway. And the piece of van, which I'm super jealous about, because imagine that being a real thing. I'm totally mm-hmm. down with that. Wait, what does the pizza man do? It's it's a it's a van that is automatic. It's basically a Tesla van that brings you pizza that you ordered. Yeah, automate yeah. automatically. So what? That sounds like a positive. What problem of society does this pizza van cause? Well, can you imagine what an automatic driverless van accidentally does? <laughs> does it accidentally run over people? Yes, or something? of course it does. <laughs> what? I- <laughs> ah! <laughs> soda driver soda vans with real drivers in them i yeah okay i'm, I'm still not convinced what's what's the the deep seated what is the black mirror well, that well, we are holding up to ourselves episode. it just came i out. know i know but i doubt i'm ever gonna watch it you should watch the I, first I might watch episode. season three i think you would enjoy the first episode george Really? Okay. You think he would enjoy the first episode? I think in terms of, of like, is the pizza van episode? It gives you a sense of um intense uh I don't know how to describe it. Like being gamers, like the, the Us gamers, the, huh? The, the, the sort of people you maybe come across <laughs> online sometimes. Oh like imagine if no. they had like abusive godlike powers in a game that you were trapped in oh no i feel like it i going back to anime but if you've ever watched the first season of sword art online it's basically that but like a star trek version with a god in it and wait do league of legends players transcend the veil and become real wait 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 I th- wait, wait, we're, we're missing we're missing the the episode that he absolutely has to watch. You need to watch season three, episode two, playtest. Yeah, I was just told that season three was good. Yeah, you, you have to watch need playtest. to watch that. But yeah. like you need to. Why? Because it's heavily inspired by Kojima. And VR. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Really? Yes. Holy crap. OK, I got to see it. And, now, I, I guess. and other stuff, of course. Like uh, Japanese games wow. in general, I would say. But Inspired by Kojima. For anyone Ooh. who doesn't know, anyway, like a lot of Black Mirror episodes are centered around video game esque themes because Charlie Brooker used to write about video games before he did yep. any like TV stuff. So yeah, a yeah. lot of the influence he got comes in, like, from video games. PC Gamer UK, right? Yeah, um, he used to write yeah. with like Gary Witter, who you know wrote the script for like Rogue One and the Book of Eli and stuff like that. So those guys went on to do some pretty fantastic things out of video game writing. Um, but a lot of it can be like video game centric and playtest, which is the second episode of season three, even has like fake edge and games TM magazines in it as well. So it's like pretty on the nose about video games. And it's written by people who are going to know video games. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, okay, I got to see it. Season, season four's episode one isn't so much about a video game, but it's about, like, someone having their own game and being able to mod it. And then the kind of things that they would do in that game where basically there's no consequence and they can be exactly who they want to be online kind of thing. 
As as Matt mm. says, it's more about the character than it is the technology and about the people involved. Yeah, I, I, I was about to say, like, if, if, if what's the societal gimmick? I mean, that's kind of how online games are structured anyway, so well, it's, it's it, it, hard for me to imagine the, the, the scary negative Twilight Zone effect that that would spawn from just having a game where a player is allowed to be an asshole. Well, imagine yeah, you were tr- trapped Trust in me, it, it, gets, it gets pretty dark. I, now that yeah. I'm thinking about it, it does get pretty dark. It gets really dark. Um, and just that, thinking that, about, like, what a, a guy who had the ability to do that yeah. would do with that power. Oh, my God. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> okay, yeah. All right, all right, yeah. Just so, watch so it. So there it is. Watch so it. I, I would say so, go. Yeah? What? No, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was gonna watch uh, or segue. not watch Black Mirror season four. And if if you don't want to watch that, <laughs> I would say uh, Initial D is quite great. I started watching that, <laughs> and it's fantastic. That's the reason why I mentioned it. <laughs> it's fantastic. Just it's a Initial smart D show. in general, huh? Sega. Just just Initial D in general. Yeah, just Initial. I thought it D. was like like initial multiple D. series. Is you had to pick one and. They they transcend through several decades of of varieties of initial D. Yeah, it's um it's not on Netflix, um but it's on it's on Hulu. If 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 you have that, if you went over to the Hulu side, I don't know why would you go to the Hulu side because Netflix is clearly better for initial D. But got to get that initial D. Okay, it's so clearly better, Liam. I imagine it is, but I've actually never watched Initial D. <laughs> oh no, I meant I meant the Hulu thing. Because you oh, said right. Netflix, I th- you said Netflix sucked last time, so I was just uh, <clears throat> just. Making I said sure. Netflix Japan sucks. Oh, oh! They, they take again, off shows. Over Hola, there? shoot three point whatever acronym whatever thing makes a goal. Um, someone, okay. someone on Twitter hit me up saying they got addicted to Terrace House. So you know, I, I win. Good. Yeah. I win. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm Maybe gonna watch someone that will get week. addicted to Initial D. <laughs> um, I, I'll be short with this. Uh, I played something called The Surge. Have you guys heard yeah, of it? Yeah, Sci-Fi Dark Souls. It. It. it so, <laughs> God, I, I hate when everyone attaches Dark Souls to everything, but it's kind. It's basically Sci-Fi Dark Souls with, but it stands on its own two feet, though. I would say. Um, so when you fight, uh, you do have different weapons that have different uh, combos that you can do with them, light and heavy, and a different mix of them, kind of like Bayonetta, um, you will be doing different combos, and it, that happens for each weapon. Um, there's not a big variety of weapons and armor that you get spread out during the game like Dark Souls would be. Um, it's more of like a linear kind of upgrade system um, that could... It kind of gets boring in that way, but it's it's okay if you know all you want to do is kind of fight people. Um, so the fighting is actually quite interesting. You have to target certain body parts. Um, like uh, if one is armored, uh, it would do less damage. If if one is not armored, it would do more damage to the target. And also, if you target a piece of uh, uh, the head, the arms, the legs you can actually um, get a prompt to cut it off. And when you cut it off, you can use that to upgrade your armor. So if you cut off the leg, you can upgrade the legs. If you cut off the head, you upgrade the head. Um, um, So it's cool in that way. And with that, though, 
with the combos, you can you can actually duck and jump, and you can actually duck and jump over enemy attacks. So if you have a combo that um, makes you jump in the air and slam down, you can actually time it quite right to when an enemy is about to swing, you Ooh. do the combo and you just jump up. He swings and misses, and then you slammed on his head. It's really satisfying. And, and those those overhead attacks in all these games are like always the most satisfying shit. Yeah, it's just bam, and it's, it's done. Ragdoll isn't effect. It, isn't it made by the same guys who made Lords of the Fallen? Yes. Mm-hmm. So they have some some background in copying Dark Souls. Yes. Did they did they do better this time? Because Lords of the Fallen was pretty bad. Uh, I I I got in. I liked the game. Um, I didn't I didn't finish it. I'm like I played like let's say nine hours, and there's this point where you go to like the. Th- Fourth, third or fourth area and you're it's it gets a little stale and then you hit when it gets a little stale you hit these enemies that one shot you even if you block um so that's always a good sign yeah like you <laughs> oh. don't know that this is gonna happen so you're just kind of walking and then you're gonna you block or you duck out the way and then all of a sudden they because it's it's quick you see them back up, and then all of a sudden, boom, they just come right after you real quick. And if you don't dodge out the way, you're dead. That's that's pretty much it. Um, and then you have to start all the way back. Now, when you die in this game, you leave a puddle with your junk, and you have <laughs> two yeah, two minutes and Word choice. 50, min- 50 seconds to get back. Two minutes and 50 seconds. If you don't, like it cuts right. it in half, cuts like all your tech scraps in half, which sucks. In Dark Souls, it sounds doable, but it, it, it of course depends on how far the bonfires are from each other and, and how easy it is to just run past enemies instead of fight them. Uh, it's but, uh, not easy with those spider bots, I'll tell you that. Um, it, they, there's a lot of tight corridors, so they can jump at you a lot. Uh, so if you, if you... It's not... Yeah, Dark Souls is a bit easier. Like I was playing a little bit of uh, Blood... Uh, Bloodborne the other day over a friend's house and it's definitely a lot easier to get around in that game and kind of dodge out of out of the way but in uh, the surge there's a lot of doorways where there's enemies right next to them and a lot of attacks that swing forward quite a bit um, that would hit you from behind and as soon as they stagger you that's kind of it you know um, and the way you stop staggering is like wear heavier uh, armor but if you wear Heavier armor, you're a lot slower. You attack slower, and it kind of sucks. And I, I, so they didn't, they didn't quite like figure out the careful balance of, of poise and animation timing that the Dark Souls tries to do. Sounds like yeah, the that more armor you get, the slower you are. There's no endurance um, weight. Uh, what, what do you call it in Dark Souls? The the weight cap. Let's see. There's there's equip load. And an item load Equip and load. poise, yeah. and you need to be like eighty percent or under for you to be able to yeah. do a regular roll, right? Yeah, otherwise I enjoy you that. do the crappy fat roll. Yeah, I enjoy that system more than what this is, where basically you you want light armor because you attack faster. You obviously do, and if you know how to dodge, you get through most enemies okay. If you're not careful, 
You you don't. Um, but you get used to it. Uh, but then you hit certain uh, areas where you're getting groups of twos, and especially like with the spider bots, learning that um, straight from the beginning is like tough because you're gonna keep dying and you have to reset, fight all the enemies, go all the way back to that same place, and you're trying to get your scraps because you know you, you're gonna be wasting you're on your the time, clock. and you don't like wait. I don't like wasting my time in games, and I feel like. It started to waste my time during this phase after like learning the spider bots, um, and what basically what you have to do is keep close to them. They're gonna do an attack that you can block, and when they when you block, you can kind of do like a thrust um, attack, and you'll do like a lot more damage than like the little tiny damage that you usually do um, to them when you're just like slapping their legs, you know, like oh they kind of laugh at you with that. If you get hit by any one of their attacks, automatically you're at 20%. Um, if you're on light armor, that is. Um, yeah, but it's you know, got to be hard because yeah, Dark Souls markets itself as being hard. Yeah, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty unforgiving. And I would, say, I would say that being annoying and being able to fall inside of buildings and dying is annoying. So if you're running, like, for instance, you're running around enemies, you may fall off, like, the, the walkway and die and lose all your tech scraps. There, there's a way for you to fall <laughs> inside of a building. Why? Why? To, to be hard, like Dark Souls, right? But it, <laughs> it's and it's dark. Game. And it's not like it's light in, in, inside the buildings. It's dark inside the buildings. And you, f- you can fall and die. Um, no. 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 <laughs> Just no. No. And, and a lot of little so. things like that is what kind of makes the game a little bit annoying at that point. And I feel like a lot of people would quit around that area. And it would suck because I feel like there's a lot of cool stuff in the game. It is a fun game. I don't know if I'll be going back to it. I passed the spider bots, and after you pass them, um, it doesn't feel satisfying. It doesn't feel satisfying because you have to. It, it no matter what, you're not going to be more powerful than them. <laughs> you know, so you always you, wear light you... armor. So you're always gonna get one hit if you if the, you aggro them while you're blocking another uh, another guy. You can't fight so two at the same time, or you will die. You don't recommend the surge, correct? I I want right, to. Sorry, I want to recommend it. I, you if you want to feel pain and then brag about it, yeah, go ahead and try the surge. Um, but some people like that. Some people like that. I I like to spend my time playing games i kind of want to play <laughs> so 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 yeah. speaking of 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 wanting to hurt oneself yes and also playing video games i have a question a series of questions for you two that should uh be very very fun to answer and fill up some good minutes here okay so we're <clears> segueing <throat> into the questions now imagine if you will before we do viewer questions i have three george questions the first oh. is Imagine, if you will, that you, for some reason, because George is like God in your universe, you have to play through a Metal Gear game in front of, let's say, your step-parents. Which one do you choose? Metal 
You have to play a Metal Gear game in front of your step parents. Step parents. Yes, yes. Hmm. Um I would go I would go for an awkward one. Um Oh no. <laughs> maybe not too awkward. Uh let, let, let's go Metal Gear Solid 1. Let's go Metal Gear Solid. Meryl. 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 Let's go. Let's okay. Go, let's, okay. Let's, uh, let's go with that. Uh, I, I, I really want to do. Explain two. your reasoning. At, at least, at least they will be able to understand the story. This is this is this is going um, by keeping their interest throughout their, um, <laughs> you know, throughout their stay with me, um, you know, and not boring them to hell. I feel like Metal Gear Solid One would be able to keep their interest a bit more than for instance something ridiculous as metal gear solid 2 where you know ray uh, i would have to kind of explain why um you know the the blonde kid is getting his nuts grabbed you know <laughs> you know I, I i just i don't know how to explain that to, to them you know to normal people <laughs> yeah i don't um i mean sure the crotch shots and all that you're kind of used to that with with everything you watch these days sex sales so it'll be okay but you know the grabbing and all that i don't know i don't know i definitely so, won't so, play metal gear solid 4 um <laughs> that would just be that would just be bad unless you <laughs> deliberately want to weird them out and, and like unless this is part of your like exit strategy of a bad relationship or something Ooh, I yes uh, but I yes yes this is a strategic a strategic choice you are allowed to pick strategically uh, Liam, what's your answer? Well, it depends. Uh, are we trying to get them into the series, or are we purposely trying to like not be embarrassed? Right. It, it doesn't matter. For for some reason, you just have to pick one in well, front of the step parents. I guess if I have to, I would pick. <sighs> I think I would just. I would. I'm gonna throw it out there a little bit, and I, I would play Metal Gear Rising. Ooh. Okay. Play, okay. Like, Explain your reasoning. They can see like a cool ass cyborg ninja slicing some shit up, and they'll be like, "What's this?" And I'll be like, "Oh, that's Raiden. He was he was a pussy, but now he's all right." And uh, so you don't think they'll get <laughs> that's weirded what you out would say. By, exact uh, words by by some of the voice acting, like like the memes, Jack, exquisite, or or like it's time for Jack to let her rip. But there's barely any voice acting compared to the rest of the Metal Gear series, so it wouldn't be so embarrassing. I think. Mm, I think. Mm. I think he picked the best one. Plus, I get to play mm. that game again, and I want an excuse to play that game again because that game is awesome. I, I'm, I'm gonna go with Metal Gear Solid One because I think of all the games in the series, it might actually be the least embarrassing one. Yeah, for sure. It. I, I feel like there's some kind of quiet reverency around its style nowadays. Like it looks those early PS One games. That's a look people have wait, 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 very, wait, wait, very wait, wait, quickly wait, abandoned. Wait, yes. What the yes, hell is okay. embarrassing about Metal Gear Rising? Apart from getting to wear like a sombrero, let her rip. But that's just like speech. No <laughs> Remember one, the like no one pays attention to that. Go ninja, go ninja, go. There's reasons to be embarrassed about Metal Gear Rising. Remember. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't think I'd be embarrassed by the the final boss fight. I, 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 I think I'd, I'd th gladly play that in front of the step parents. I, I think George yeah, would like scenes. try to put it on hard to try like, oh look look, <laughs> I put it on hard, the hardest yeah. difficulty, and then he will just keep losing. Losing No no, but also 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 when you fight against Armstrong, he'll be like, make America great again, and then your your step parents <laughs> will be like, oh. 
look, they made a game about Trump. And I'd be like, ha-ha, no, 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 no. This game was made before <laughs> oh, no, Trump. There could be a specific strategy in here. If the step-parents are Trump voters, they'll probably look at Senator Armstrong and think, oh, what a cool oh, no. character. <laughs> why, why, the parents are, why are you, they'll probably think, oh, how cool. Why, they made the villain. Why are you the, beating like, up the like, good guy? <laughs> I I don't know. I feel like I feel like they'd see some admirable qualities in the villain, which which tends to happen these days, which might be a sign. Oh but anyways, oh I'm gonna God. go back to say it. And Metal Gear Solid One, the graphical style, it seems to have this quiet reverency about it. It it it, it looks way older than it is. Well, it is pretty old anyway, but it also is like I think the tightest and most coherent plot of the whole yeah, series. It, it has the best translation of the whole series. I feel like there's a lot more artistry at work to appreciate for newcomers in Metal Gear Solid One. I mean, I think Metal Gear Solid Three is like the masterpiece peak of the series, but but I don't think you should get into it from that level. Nor do I think normal people should bother with stuff at that level. But I think Metal Gear Solid itself is like such a cultural touchstone and like like worldwide phenomenon that even your step parents, whoever they may be, might appreciate knowing what it is. And that's the way you would get them, or, or at least that's the way you would save your own ass and make it look less stupid than how stupid it gets later on. I, um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't want to go on about this question for too long because we we have so many others, but we we have more. We have more. Th- but I think you could get in a Malgus Light Three. There's no there's no backstory. You... I think you could. I just don't have faith in step parents to be able to do yeah, that. Yeah, there's a lot of bullshit. But that's all Melgis. We, I mean, anyone who's ever watched any of your critical close-ups knows. Like recently, some some YouTuber told me not to play MGS Four. So you know. <laughs> uh, second question. <laughs> Back to back to the George questions. Okay. Pretend that you're on death row. You have just enough time to play one Metal Gear video game oh. before you're executed. Which one do you pick? Metal Gear Rising. <laughs> That's so brutal, though. That's so brutal. Explain, explain. It's a fast, combat-heavy, twitch, reactionary game. I don't want to be stealthing around, like, just messing around, dealing with Kojima's bullshit before I get executed. I just want to, like, release all my anger on the world that I'm about to be executed. That that actually was my choice as well, because I'd want to go out on the adrenaline rush you get from that game. Exactly. Like, like playing that gives you a high that not many other games can do. Exactly. Uh, I I think mine is similar, uh, just a different game. I I will go with Metal Gear Solid 4. For um, the same reasons, right? Oh, no, to the, get you in the mood? Yeah, to get me in the mood. <laughs> one last time, you know? Isn't playing MGS4, oh, according to George, like an execution anyway? <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's no MGS5. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Last question is the easy one. The Desert Island. You're on a Desert Island. You got one Metal Gear game. Which one is it? Uh, to, to play over and over again? It'd probably be five, yep. right? Because it's just constant filler Solid in choice. damn game. Yeah. <laughs> Replay value yeah, game. I'd it's, have the to, life, I'd, it's their one attempt at making a lifestyle game out of Metal Gear Solid, and it didn't work. I'd have to choose five as well. I mean, Metal Gear Rising, I think, would also oh. be a fun choice, just for consistency. Um, you can walk around but, and get plants all day. But MGS5, yeah, probably. The most sandboxy, livable. Uh, 
I'm I'm definitely gonna pick three for this one. Like I've played through that game I think eight nine times, and I'm still finding fun new ways to play through it. Like mm. I was playing with the cinematic camera angles last run. I did a cinematic camera angle European extreme non lethal run, and it was really fun. Like rethinking how the game should work based on how stupid those camera angles were. But you can do that with five too. You can like limit yourself to like I'm only gonna use the Fulton this time, and then you see you see your whole way through a desert and a jungle, and you just Fulton everyone. There are, there are ways you, you can play you can. five. Do that. You can play five in like so many different ways. Like I think three is a better game, but I think I would take five anyway. I, I haven't finished five. I, I played like a few hours, and that's pretty much it. So I, I don't know how it is during the game. I mean, if you got to the end of the Afghanistan map, then you pretty much saw the amount of story they were able to complete. Ooh. Well, that's the thing. It's another game that you don't have to listen through all of Kojima's nonsense. Um, oh no, you just do that from the uh, walk Walkman menu. Yeah. I like sometimes the way Kojima tells his funny little stories, but you know, in terms of, in terms of like having to play a game, hey, you stole my podcast anyway. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I just realized. Wait, wait, no, I just picked one Metal Gear game, not eight in general. I mean, that would, yeah. Would you want to take eight Metal Gears though? Ugh. Nah, <laughs> too much, too much workload. You got, you got all that alone time. You guys wanna. Want to spend it with your own monologues going on forever, not Kojima's. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised so no one gonna... mentioned Peace Walker. I mean, that's the best in the series. But okay. I think Peace Walker's okay. up there. I like Peace Walker a lot too, but I would take three over Peace Walker first. Oh, God. Oh God. So we got we to move joke. on. We got to move on to uh, viewer questions. And we got a lot of them this week. Uh, it's been a week and a half since we did a podcast. It's been two and a half weeks since we've taken questions because last podcast we did the uh, trivia. So we got a question from Jan C. He says, hello, Mega Hamster Damps and Company. This is Jan from Mexico. I have the following question. In what order from best to worst? Oh, boy. Would you please rate the Metal Gear series? <laughs> and what would that be in order for Soul Series? Let's be fast, guys. Don't explain yourself too much. Also, may I know what is your favorite Bloodborne weapon? Okay, let's parse that into three points. Um, let's all do our Metal Gear Solid tier list. I'll, should we I'll just do? Should off. we just MGS? do top three? Because yeah, you, yeah, you can rank. No, no I, let's... No, no, no. I, let's do whole series. I, I, I can do whole series fast. I don't know about you guys, though. I'll, I'll just do, do top I'll three. I'll do top three. Yeah. <laughs> top three. Okay, I'll do whole series. My my tier list is Metal Gear Solid 3 is above Metal Gear Solid 1, which is above Metal Gear Solid 2, which is above Metal Gear Solid 4, which is above Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, which is above Metal Gear Solid 5, which is at the tail bottom ass end of that list. However, I did not even think of the msx games okay redo my list mgs3 <laughs> mgs1 metal Jesus gear 2 Christ. uh 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 metal gear solid 4 um metal gear solid peace walker metal gear 1 then metal gear solid 5 i don't think metal gear 1 is necessary necessary to play these days it's, i'm sure it was fine for its time but it's been obsoleted in every way uh what's you guys okay um number one metal gear solid 3 hd Number two. Uh, yes, yes, HD. Didn't specify. But number two, yeah. Peace Walker, HD. Number three. What is wrong with you? Metal Gear Solid People 2. People like Peace Walker better than me. Metal Gear Solid 2, HD. And then I guess mm. I, four would be MGS, and then five would be Metal Gear Rising. And then... Where's one? I, I, as you said, like one is like a great game, but I kind of just don't want to play it again. I was talking about Metal Gear 1, not Metal Gear Solid 1. Well, I wouldn't play and Metal Gear 1. I don't think 1. you have Metal Gear Solid 1 on your top three. 
No, I wouldn't. Which mm. so so one would be MGS three, two would be MGS two HD, then three would be oh no wait, Peace Walker or <laughs> MGS two is kind of interchangeable, <laughs> and then like the rest. Okay, okay, uh, Matt, I, Matt, I, I I don't know how to put them in order. I I quite I kind of like uh, Metal Gear Solid one and Metal Gear two kind of like the same because they so kind good. of really brought me into the series. I quite like them a lot. Um, I, I uh, Three, of course. Rising, of course. Yeah, um, oh, I didn't even think of Rising. I would put Rising as I, like four for me. Rising is super... Oh, I love that game. Yeah, and, and uh, that's pretty much everything else. <laughs> I, no, no honorable can mentions you, after can that. Can you do the list again? I no, just want to hear I, it all I, at once. The, the games I absolutely like like that I would play again are Metal Gear 2, uh, Metal Gear okay. Solid, no particular o- order, uh, Rising, and uh, Metal Gear 3. Metal Gear Solid 3. Metal Gear Solid 3. Yeah. Those are the good ones. Yeah. Those are the really good 10 out of 10 top tier yeah. video game defining installments. Yeah. God, Metal Gear 2 is so good. Way more people need to play it. All right. Now we got to do Souls. <laughs> well, I, uh, uh, so let's, uh, let's go with Metal Gear. I'm out backwards. of that one. I didn't finish all Bloodborne, of them. Bloodborne is above Dark Souls. No, Bloodborne is above Demon Souls, is above Dark Souls 1 is above Dark Souls 3, which I actually think is on par with Dark Souls 2. I'm I'm weird like that. I give Dark Souls 2 a lot of slack for for how much better the story is than the other Dark Souls. Anyways, what's you guys? Um so number 1 would be Bloodborne because that game is like near perfection. Fantastic. Such an amazing game. Number 2 would be Dark Souls 3. Number 3 would be Interesting. Dark Souls itself. Number four would be Demon Souls, and then number five would be what? Dark Souls Two. Hmm, interesting that you have Demon Souls so low. Yeah, uh, I, I like the game, think? but I feel like I feel like the series got a little more polished in terms of like oh, the God. way it crafted yeah, its world. Like Bolteria was kind of like this weird dank place, whereas <laughs> you know the the Dark Souls world was a bit more oh. of a creatively constructed map. Um, the loading screens in Demon Souls are the greatest. Yeah, but they're loading screens, so you know. <laughs> they they look like they were made on a lower budget than Morrowind's loading screens. <laughs> That's mine, anyway. All right, Matt, uh, Matt what's yours? <laughs> I I've only completed uh, Demon Souls, so Demon Souls, baby! <laughs> Yay! Yay! <laughs> uh, what's your favorite Bloodborne weapon? <laughs> That's a really specific question. I'm going to go with the saw cleaver. I'm going nice to go with easy. that, too. Yeah, that just got me through most of my runs for the most part. There are a lot of weapons in Bloodborne that I could just never get used to. I, I remember relying on the Tonatrus for a while, but I ended up not liking it. The weird arcane weapons in the expansion pack were things my characters were never built to carry, which I think kind of <laughs> makes them redundant in terms of additions for the expansion. But, I mean, saw cleaver, it looks cool, it sounds cool, it basically works as like your basic long sword yeah i like the sword cleaver a lot too that's the weapon i start with the chain whip was kind no. of fun like the the sort of walking stick turned old man whip my friend yeah the chain the chain whip was fun but it was also less practical than the saw cleaver like i had yeah. runs where i did rely on the chain whip but i would always fall back on the saw cleaver yeah, me if i too. just get stuck yeah. at a boss i'd quit whatever fancy shit i was trying to do and just use the saw cleaver instead 
Uh, aside, fan, friend of mine, Kyle Javelli, cute monster props, made a super great saw cleaver in real life that actually oh, yeah. springs. It's made out of foam. It was fun to play with during Dragon Con. Yeah, Anyways, uh, Matt, do you have a favorite Bloodborne weapon? I, I, I didn't finish it, but I like how the Kirkhammer feels. Uh, oh, I forgot about the Kirkhammer. It's so fucking cool. It's a sword glued to a hammer. Yeah, it looks so like when you switch it mid combo, it's like mm, bam. God, those noises, the, the dust it kicks up. Ooh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it feels good. God, the first moment you see that is the hypest shit. Yeah, it's like oh! you just like press the transform button, and you're like, how? What? Cool? How has no one thought of this? And I was never really able to get used to it in combat, so I'd fall back on the sword lever. Yeah. Uh, Varden's You says, hey, Gorgulous, Liam and Matt, what is your favorite pre-2010s game that had bot support? Uh, love you boys, dads, or whatever. Love an eccentric fan from Eastern Europe. <gasps> I saw this question ahead of time, so I know my answer ahead of time. I don't know if you guys need time to think, though, but I got a good one. I know mine, I think, if I know what bot support yours? means. Wait, uh, in that case, okay, I'll start us off. Perfect Dark on the N64. You could, like, customize the clothes the bots were wearing. You could customize their, their personality. Uh, as well as the regular stuff like their difficulty, but that game also had an insane amount of bot support for a little, like, 30 mega N64 cartridge. You could load up a multiplayer map with 16 bots, absolutely tight to the frame rates. That's why you should play that game on Project 64 version 1.7. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, load up Project 64 version 1.7, put the perfect dark ROM in, get get a load of, of those bot options. They are incredible. They are so many bot options, and they all just work, and I don't know why they weren't in more games. You can, like, set a turtle bot to, to be on a different team than a, than a stealth bot against a different team from a, like, explosives bazooka bot, and you can make them all be little aliens that are, like, three feet tall, but but they have dresses that they're wearing from, like, the female character models, and it's, it's a wacky good-ass time, and I love it. Cool. <laughs> I think mine would be, surprisingly, and I don't really play the series that often, but Call of Duty Black Ops. That, the first one. The first Black Ops. It had really good bot mm. options where you could play multiplayer, oh local multi- Oh my god. You could play local... You also just barely made the deadline. <laughs> I know. It came out in 2010. It did. It did. And you could play local multiplayer, and I played a lot of this one summer when I went back from university with my brother, and I had no internet. So we played a lot of local multiplayer where we would just set up loads of bots, specifically on the map firing range, and we just run around like killing lots of bots that and the bots were based on like player tags that you'd played with so like your friends list oh or, no they'd give them real names they would That's give them cute. like they would give them like the names of the players you'd played with and people on your friends list so it was like you were killing them that as is well. so cute which you is could really just like fun. pretend you were playing the game yeah and i can't remember really specifically so... <laughs> but i think it had quite a few customizable options and stuff like that but i had so much fun with that so because i'm not like a big shooter guy anyway so i don't have too much experience with games with bots but that was a lot of fun. Matt, do you have one? Um, man, it might be an oldie. Uh, we used to have Quake on the school computers Quake. in high school. Yeah, and it would be on uh, the network, so anyone could jump in and play. And there was like a there was sometimes when nobody was playing, and like there would be a, like a bot game up. Um, but most of the time, there was like people on there playing but i i would say quake like it's an od but i i never really played games with bots in them um so much 
I feel like I feel like there's something I'm missing that I've played a, a game like way back with bots, but I, I can't I can't think of it. I can't think of it right now. A lot of it was like being a kid with no credit card and shitty internet because your parents don't know <laughs> yeah. what computers are and seeing all these really cool turn of the millennium multiplayer games happening and just like pretending that that you're in that crowd. <laughs> I remember playing Counter-Strike against bots for a year before the internet got good enough for that game to work well in, in my house. And you realized and also just how I bad could... you were. Yeah, and you think you're good. You think you're good against those bots, and they're not They're not any good. Um, <laughs> Cyrus B says, George, your Twitter bio claims you were on Japanese TV. What happened? Uh, Liam, you can attest that this is a thing. There was a TV camera crew for... Uh, why are you going to Japan? I don't know how you say that in Japanese, but it's a, it's a segment that I think they have on some nationalized TV program where they go around interviewing tourists about why they went to Japan, and that's exactly what happened. Were you in it's the Apple really... when this happened? I was in the bus station. Okay, there was a very, we very... getting a bus I can't remember Fuji. what the TV show was called, but there was a very famous TV show that sort of picks foreigners up at the airport and, like, just asks them, what are you doing in Japan? What are you... Why are you here? I don't know if it was that TV show, but it, it's pretty famous. Um, Nathan G, this is Nathan Gonzalez, longtime fan, asks, George, what other games were you looking to get on your 3DS? What catches your eye? Uh... Man, like, the, the games have gotten so cheap at this point that I walked away from the store with a lot of everything that catches my eye. But I don't yet know if I want to get one of the Pokemons. I don't know if I want to be obligating myself to that kind of a lifestyle obligation. I also don't know which version of which game is the best on this platform. Uh, but I do think I I don't want to throw away the 3DS without giving a Pokemon a shot. Um, and I was also going back and forth on... Um, uh, what... What was it? Was it was it Tamadachi Life? It was some kind of a cutesy lifestyle simulator that some friends wanted me to get into. I don't know if it was up my jam. <laughs> I think Tamadachi Life would be pretty good for you, actually, considering the fun. I, considering the fun you had with those AR cards, you, you could dig. I around did have a lot of I, Tamadachi Life a lot. Nintendo's character customization stuff and like virtual toy stuff is really really fun to me for like a day. When I had to make a new me for the Switch, I was like my my first reaction was like, "Oh god damn it, I can't just switch over Danny Devto for my Wii U." My second thought was, "Okay, I guess I can't." dot 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 this is going to be good. <laughs> so I made like Dupe, who is a bald like like smiley face with two dot stick figure doing a T pose with no hair. And I was just like laughing the whole time. And uh yeah, I might get Tomodachi life if I can do some silly fun things with with me's that look half complete cuz that is totally my jam. Have you are you, are you thinking uh, about maybe the Fire Emblem series? I, I picked up Fire Emblem Echoes, and I was super into Fire Emblem when they were GBA games that were not that complicated to follow with okay, that's weird. not that gratuitous fan service characters. I'm interested to see how how far down the depths have gone at this well, point. Echoes in the is more like Echoes is more like the older games. It's different from Fates and Awakening, which were kind of like the new series of games. They had like a sort of different um, combat system. So Echoes is a bit more like the GBA games. So you probably picked Echoes up the best one. was was recommended to me personally after I explained what I basically just said. So yeah, I I think this is the one that I'm, I am looking forward to picking it up. I want to knock some stuff out of the list first before I get to it. Uh, he also wanted to ask Matt, what games have you been into on the Switch? Any anticipated newer or port games? Booty game hype? What does that mean? 
Booty games. Um, booty booty game. Booty hype. game hype would definitely Wait, be. Wait, is that Bayonetta? Uh, <laughs> probably. Yeah, getting that bay- Bayonetta too. Um, three, three's coming, baby. Yeah, baby. Um, so I, I'll probably, I'll probably be getting that. Um, I am looking forward for ho- for Hollow Knight. Um, I'm definitely gonna be playing the hell out of that. I think I said that last podcast. Um, Hollow Knight is freaking phenomenal uh, other than the regular games um i did play through uh steam dug world steam dig world 2 um that was a quite interesting game i i feel like it it it, it wasn't quite as good as the first one was there was a lot of um cool really good sections but a lot of drawn out just kind of boring sections of just kind of mining the same things over and over again and i felt like they could have tossed in a few more you know, uh, mixed up sections, you know, midway through there uh, to kind of freshen it up. Uh, other games I've been playing other than like, you know, I, everyone's play Sonic Mania. I mean, you know, you know, it's it's cool. It's good. Um, uh, I think Stardew Valley. Everyone's heard about it. Nothing too crazy. I haven't tried. Oh, Pokin. Pokin. Um, any of you guys play Pokin? I've played it in I arcades tried. here in Japan. I haven't actually played. I the got my version. my ass was handed to me hard. Yeah, like it's it's really cool. Like uh, at work, we just like set it down during lunch, and every each one takes a controller, and we just like smash each other. It's a uh, it's good. A lot of smashing going up, going on, and uh, that's a that's a good game to just kind of um, get hype, <laughs> get hype uh, during your lunch break. Um, even though it's cold, it gets cold upstairs. So you, you kind of warm up with um, um, all my yelling. Um, and uh, that's that's pretty much it right now. I would love to play Snipper Clips, but... I oh, ow, that... Sorry, I got excited. Snipper Clips is the cutest freaking thing ever. I'm lonely you right know. now, so I can't play. I'm lonely like the anime guy. Um, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. So I, I need to watch more anime. Yo, oh, no. I'm with you, bro. I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, one last question from Nathan <laughs> Gonzalez. Liam, Liam, I actually don't know you too well. What are some of your favorite games ever? Well, I never. Um, wow. Wow. I get the hardest question of all. Um, some of my favorite games ever. Uh, I hate this question so much, but I guess Smash Brothers, uh, Super Mario Galaxy. Which one? Uh, Super, uh, Smash Brothers 4. I love that game. Okay. The Good choice. One. Good choice. I love it so much. Um, Mario, it's reasonable. Mario Galaxy, Yakuza Three, um, the Bloodborne, uh, Chrono Trigger, uh, and now we're getting into old stuff. That was a surprising amount of modern games. Yeah, the, for, I think uh, yeah, games are favorite games, games are ever great now. Like <laughs> Breath of the Wild, of course, I guess too. Um, Final, really? Final Fantasy Six. Uh, yeah, I've recently been playing Breath of the Wild again and. I don't know what it is about that world, man. Forget the story, forget even the combat. Just walking in that world—it's like the yeah. best walking simulator that isn't a walking simulator. All of these are super duper solid choices that have gotten super duper rave reviews. It's just people usually start at the at the older ones, and yeah, it's like kind of refreshing it, to hear a perspective it, that that has appreciation for the new classics. I too. feel like the past few years in video games, like we've had the stagnation of AAA and stuff like that, but uh, alongside that, we've had like you know some pretty incredible games as well triple a got good in like 2013 like when the military shooter linear bubble popped and like when when we moved away from the 
the sixth gen with its like four gigs of RAM, was it? Like suddenly gameplay got important again. Yeah. It's and, refreshing um, to see that. There are a lot of old games as well, you know, some stuff from the PlayStation 2 era, like Dragon Quest Eight. Um games like that I really enjoy. Um I, really I was, I I was really like do. I was like playing Super Punch Out for ages recently on the Super Nintendo Classic and I really enjoyed that as well. I don't know. I hate that. I, I'm sorry. I hate that question because it's so difficult to answer specifically. I don't have like a an outstanding game which I'm like an incredible fanboy over. I like a whole spectrum of games for so many different reasons. I'm someone who likes to yeah. make games and sort of break them down. So games having different and aspects to them is really important to me. Um, I feel like that's a, that's a very reasonable selection. Like nothing yeah. out there seems questionable. Uh, in terms you know, of like questionable, games I, that... I have an adoration for snowboard kids on the Nintendo sixty four. <laughs> there we go. That's like if you want to if you want to get freaky with it, like if you want to get weird. I love mm. the N sixty four and I love the janky games on the N sixty four, like Snowboard Kids. Snowboard Kids was amazing. I think... Shut up. I I have an affection for Jedi Knight Two, Jedi Outcast that I don't think a lot of people share. It's regarded as a good game, but that was the game that got me into PC gaming and modding and online communities in a big way that inflated its its effect on my my brain space to a point where it is one of my favorite games ever. And oh, I never talk about it because just no I, one else would feel that way towards it. One I don't want to I don't want to leave out either is the Game Boy Advanced uh, Rhythm Heaven Tengoku. Um, that's game. real specific yeah because that game is so good i have like a mint japanese box that i keep on my shelf that i look at every now and again because it's delightful and that game is amazing so i want to add that into all right so moving through more questions crazy jerry good ass name crazy jerry says hello george and friends 2017 has been a very weird year with people declaring the apocalypse and many other crazy things going on in my opinion this has one of been the greatest years for several mediums of entertainment i'm pretty sure he's referencing uh, a lot of good movies and games coming out this year and good ass tv shows so my question for all of you is despite the doom and gloom circumstances of the time does art come from adversity and is 2017 an example? First, I would like to say, George, you totally said Adpocalypse instead of Apocalypse, which is the YouTuber in you, which made me laugh. Oh my god, it does say Apocalypse. I thought it said Adpocalypse. <laughs> well, that still happened this year. That well, Adpocalypse 2 happened this year. And, yeah. And this is still, it's still relevant, I think. But I, my, my short answer is yes. I feel like you can almost see that happen to my channel during and after the Patreon. I started switching to like more journalist style topics, tax evasion, net neutrality, <laughs> what what gaming in a repressive communist puppet state is like. God, I'm really proud of that East Germany video. And uh, I feel like these are a lot of topics that are drumming up from anxieties about the state of governments and, eco and economics and how it affects the games that we play and love as dumb, thoughtless entertainment. I'm, I'm through through the research of these topics, more and more coming to find the connections between the uh, scary political aspects of the year and the, the games and the art that they produce, which is affected by the struggles that the people who have to make them who are affected by those political issues deal with. Uh, what do you guys think? Um, I don't think it's I can really comment on this because I, I think games don't do that, and sometimes unless they're indie games, I think indie games definitely take on that. But we'll see next year and the year after what games come out of the sort of political climate we're in right now. Um, 
But in terms of like movies and stuff, like, you know, we've seen stuff like Black Mirror come out of the recent technological uh, uprising. Uprising? I don't want to say uprising, but like, you know, what's happened in tech recently, like the massive boom and all the sort of automated devices we have. So you get yeah. stuff like Black Mirror, but um, I don't think, I, I, I don't know. Time will tell, I think. Uh, I, I think <laughs> there's examples of movies like like Moonlight and Get Out that are that are yeah. about um, really uncomfortable racial issues yeah. that are being bubbled to the surface because of the politics of our times. I think still that like the answer to that question is a resounding yes. and evident yes. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a yes. Um, be- I mean, it does. It's not true for all things. Um, yeah. It's obviously it's not true for all things, but definitely you're gonna see. I would say not just in games, but in what people do. Uh, you've you've heard music uh, from uh, musicians that have gone through something, um, and yeah. you can hear it in their in. For instance, like jazz, you can really hear some stuff. If you ever hear some stories about a. Uh, like someone who's gone through something and they immediately start recording a, a, a record or um, um, I, I can't read, I can't remember from the top of my, I remember the singer going through something and he just sang his heart out um, and recorded uh, a song. And like, you can just kind of feel that hurt. You know, I, I remember um, I Adele, she was going through some pain as well when she was making that album, I think 21, I believe, I think it was 21. Um, man, she's so young to be singing like that. Uh, and all her songs are like love, like hurt love songs. Um, and it, it comes from like, and, and I obviously you're, you're probably talking about certain, you're, you're probably just talking about political stuff, but obviously just difficulties in general, you know, it just changes the artist. I'm looking at a list of some of the best movies from the 70s. They seem to be coming out in the second half of the 70s. The first half of the 70s was a very economically recessive period. Like, (laughs) New York looked like the Warriors. Uh, I feel like because of a lot of the hard times that future directors grew up in during the first half of the 70s, after they got their big break in the movie industry, they started making movies that were kind of subtly inspired by dealing with that sci-fi turns from, like, this retro-futurist idyllic version of 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 the future into like Star Wars which is this gritty diesel punk vision and uh Alien which is just like a straight oppressive vision of 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 evil corporations like like being the ones who explore the stars and end up exploiting their workers in the process uh you have like <laughs> Rocky coming out alongside that that same wave with with close encounters and in the Godfather movies that all uh document a darker side of familiar movie tropes and I feel like that's another example of, of, of a hard era creating great art once, <laughs> once it's over. Uh, I guess we can maybe cross our fingers and hope that we might finally be out of, of, of this really bad three-year stint. But <laughs> we'll see, I guess, as it goes on. Anyways, what's the next question? <clears throat> Nick R says, I was watching the Bunny Hop video on the Resident Evil remake, and there's a bit where George talks about a certain portion of the game feeling like getting stalked for an hour over a mile. And it reminded me of a sort of internal struggle I have with games that scare me or otherwise emotionally move me, but games that I enjoy playing so much I want to master them on a mechanical level. Have you ever had any experiences with previously emotionally affecting games, particularly horror, that now fail to move you because you've been so mechanically proficient at them? It's a complicated question. 
let's see, let's see, let's see. How can I rephrase that? Uh, maybe, has there ever been a game that you dread playing, but you master it anyway? And, and the dread goes away from that mastery. Um, there are definitely games that I feared, like Dark Souls and Bloodborne, where I was afraid Ooh. to walk around the corner because not so much horror, but the inadequacies of my power uh, or skill mm-hmm, that made mm-hmm. me dread the games. But it was like a good kind of dread. And then as I got better, I would just like breeze through areas that previously would have i don't know uh maybe slowly walk around them i think there are, there are definitely games like that yeah i think like the entire survival horror genre in general is something that really does not have the effect on me it used to i uh really <laughs> i still get scared by games but when i play them in vr they they feel like the horror games of my childhood again, where like being scared was an actual gameplay mechanic keeping me from progressing, and that doesn't happen anymore. I I go through horror games occasionally, jumping at the jump scares, but the subtlety of them, the dread of them, doesn't really seem to be hitting me anymore. Ah, uh, it, mm. it kind of depends on the horror game. We've got a lot of horror games now that just strip you of powers completely, and you're made to just walk around like with in Outlast with a camera. Or amnesia with just like a with a candlelit torch. They're they're games where reactionarily it does nothing. Like all you can do is run away or hide. So those games are purposely Maybe. built to strip you away of the power of being able to master something. So it become it do, it doesn't become scary anymore. Uh, Maybe this is why PT works so well. It's because, yeah. like, progressing through PT is some bonkers bullshit. You don't defeat a monster or, like, get to the end of the level to progress through PT. You have to, like, play it like a like an abstract surrealist adventure game that does not use the usual pieces of the established adventure game genre. And I feel like for doing effective horror from now on, you are going to have to scare the player on... Not necessarily scare the player, but at least like confuse the player on a mechanical level. Because everyone knows how how stealth routines for monsters you gotta hide from works. Everyone knows how how if you find a, a key with decorate yeah, a locked door with decorations around it, that's it's gonna be a key card hunt later on. Uh, I I think the, the the zippers on on the monsters of our horror games are showing too hard right now. Uh, it's a difficult we're not any, in a we're not in a sort of triple a horror area at the moment we had right resident now. evil 7 and you know the second half of that game for anyone who's played it without spoiling it it definitely changes from what it starts out as it's a game more about i've i've heard yeah it, it changes <laughs> and it becomes a little more action orientated so it, it becomes that sort of oh now i can fight anything kind of and the horror sort of goes away because you're able to meet any adversity that you come across. Um, but there are a lot of indie games out there that are, are all about stripping the player away of its power, kind of in a PT sense, and and, um, and trying to make them react like you would if you were in a kind of situation, like, like hiding from monsters or not wanting to be seen by something. Um, yeah. It's yeah. difficult. I, I was trying to think of uh, one game that I got. I, I knew there was a game that I, I just, once you get to that point where you kind of know what to expect, you kind of just do it. Like games like 
um, Resident Evil or, or Dead Space. Um, and I remember Dead Space, Dead Space 2, I believe, where there's a point where you upgrade your armor quite a bit. And then by the end of the game, they have this monster chase you that cannot be killed at all. And every time you cut off the limbs, it will just grow back eventually and start chasing you again. And during this time, you're going from like door to door, opening the doors, running, running, and it's just slowly catching up with you every time. And every time you have to turn around, shoot off his limbs and be quick about it. And like it brung that scariness back. Um, I guess that's like an example of like defeating that. Um that part but i, I can't yeah, think that's of it. an enemy that like doesn't play by the usual rules yeah and it's, it's like oh sounds like some kind of puzzle boss like you can't you 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 can't just like beat this guy normal uh the scariness is back uh yeah but i can't can't really think of a game i, I was thinking about resident evil 5 but i feel like uh yeah i was they they did the stupid oh i'm gonna take everything away from you part so you know they added that in i hate when games do that I hate that stuff. Well, thank you. Thank you, everyone, yeah. for sending in all those questions. I can't believe we made it through them all right now when we are about to hit the two-hour mark. Uh, so that means it's pretty much time to wrap up. Once again, I want to remind everyone, and also thank everyone, I want to remind everyone to send your questions, comments, and topics to dadandsonspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, next week, we'll be doing a trivia game, so send Liam que- uh, suggestions. 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 We've, had, we've had a couple so far. Um, mm-hmm. I'm looking through them. I'm choosing them. So yeah, please, Liam, send them. do you have any any advice you want to throw in for this stuff? Because I am not allowed to look at those emails. I yeah. do not open those. Um, don't don't be too obscure. Like I know it's tempting to be like, what was the name of that captain in Star Citizen from 1985? What was his name? Like, don't do that. Try and pick <laughs> a pretty good. A good sort of round middle ground in what maybe all of us kind of maybe know, but it's creeping in the back of our minds. Because the whole gimmick of that section is that we are not as smart as you think we are. <laughs> yeah. don't. If you're massively obscure and no one's going to get it, then it, it won't be used. Unless I know we, what it we is. We want the, the I... <laughs> listeners to be delighted at our idiosity, not genuinely frustrated at yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go yeah, with that. Yeah, people. Remember, it can be I've like been told. It can be a character. It could be a game. It could be a director of a game, um, mm-hmm. or a studio, maybe. Um, but, but yeah, send your suggestions. It be something. We'll see. Something we go mad trying to think of. Yeah, and it, you know, it doesn't I, have I, to be. They, it doesn't have to be George and Matt getting it like on the fifth clue either. If they get it on the second clue, that's fine. It's it's all about. I went having to some a fun. podcast. I went to a podcast panel at DragonCon before I started this up. I took notes. There was a guy who said the audience comes for the games, stays for the tangents, but prays to hear a live train wreck. So we we want to be arranging a train wreck. We and already if, if are train, a train wreck. Anyone listening to this is <laughs> like, you guys are a fucking train wreck anyway. If 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 the train is just like constantly going in the same direction and never really wrecking, like we gotta wreck. We gotta think of of red herrings, and then we gotta be astounded <laughs> that we didn't get some really obvious answer. That's the train wreck. That is the train. Unless wreck. Unless it, it's even worse than anything I can predict. How can it be a train wreck if I can even predict it? Well, all right. So 
Matt giving you the <laughs> answer the sons. in the first episode. Providing, that was a good one. Providing you with the weekly train wreck here on, on SoundCloud. Um, if you want to download it, this is important. Go to the RSS feed. There are download links over there. Uh... Until then, next week on Fridays, I will be uploading another one. We'll be doing trivia next week. I'll have more Switch impressions and more stories from MAGFest, which, like I said, has like yet to pick up from the day I'm recording it now. Uh, you guys have any final final comments before we like blast out of here and, and turn into stars as we fall into the horizon? Oh. Happy New Year! Is that a Pokemon reference? We're mentioning a lot of Pokemon lately. Team Rocket. We're blast off the gonna Sur- blast off again. Okay. Team Dads is blasting off again. Oh, Ting. oh, oh no, no. no that's, uh... Wait, who's 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 meow?